Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Queston Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Margin Call. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of deep background today. A lot of times when we tell people the name of our podcast, Margin Call, they say, oh, is it about finance? And that makes us very that makes us laugh a lot because we don't know anything about finance. But Margin Call is a finance term, it's a pun. But the reason we chose it uh, is because our mission as an organization at Quest on Media is to bring in a whole range of human voices on topics. Right. There are a lot of people you don't hear from uh, in mainstream media. Uh, particularly people who are directly affected by the news. Uh, and, you know, that's the word that is used often for, for groups like that is marginalized, right? We prioritize like bringing on people of color, young people, LGBTQ identified people, um, you know, people living in poverty. Like, you know, we want to have the whole range of experience. We want to have global insights um, because we think that's the best way to talk about what's going on in the world, right? It's not very interesting, you know. I mean, no disrespect to NPR, but like if you have a room full of people who are kind of like overeducated and live on the Upper West Side, although those people are very smart and interesting, um, you're not going to get the same kind of conversation you would if you, you know, reach outside of your bubble and your comfort zone. And luckily, we have a very, very big bubble and a full range of human experiences. So we do what we can to bring people on. Uh, one insight that I think is missing, I haven't seen much in the conversation of the dumpster fire that is the United States of America in 2020. I think dumpster fire is, is a fine, accurate description. I'm not a pessimist. It's just, we got a lot of, we got a lot of problems, man. Like no, no matter how optimistic you are, America's up against the wall right now. Um, and you know, I, I wonder a lot about international perspectives um, just because, you know, I, I travel, I meet people from other countries. I live in New York City. I meet people from other countries um, and our opinion in the world changes dramatically all the time. Right. Uh, if you traveled around the world around the time that Barack Obama was elected, you would meet a lot of people who were like, wow, I love America. You guys are so progressive and you elected your first black president. And, you know, I love the Marvel movies. You know what I mean? People are like, America's the best. They love our music. They love pop culture. And sometimes they love our, our politics. But, you know, if you travel around the world now, we're kind of a laughing stock because um, we have an inept and uh, self-absorbed and tyrannical president. Um, and we're fighting each other all the time. Everybody's fighting all the time in America. That's really what's the, the saddest part of what's going on right now. Um, and we seem to not be able to appropriately manage um, the coronavirus. And it's a daunting challenge, but a lot of other people in the world have figured it out in a way that we haven't. And if you consider what a wealthy country we are, blah, blah, blah. America's messed up, guys. I don't need to tell you anything more about that. We got a lot going on. I'm curious about international perspectives. And there's one kind of international perspective that I think is very interesting, which is uh, the expatriate. You know, people who are Americans, who were born here, who were raised here and have chosen to live somewhere else, at least for a time or for longer, because I would imagine it's got to be pretty hard to be halfway around the world watching your home uh, go through these times and not either either having unique insights that you can't share or having a distance or having the perspective of the place where you live now. Uh, so I'm very interested in having that conversation. So luckily, Margin Call, as you know, is a global podcast. We have guests from all over the world. Um, and today we have a guest who we haven't had on the show for a very long time. One of our best friends, somebody who's been in the network 
from the very start. Uh, Silvano Pontonieri, I said his name right. He always says I say his name wrong, but I said it right this time. Uh, he's uh, born and raised in San Francisco, California, uh, moved to Germany a couple years ago, maybe a little bit less, but is making his life there. We have conversations every day about what's going on in the world, uh, and he has insights that I don't hear from anybody else. So we wanted to have Silvano come on and give us his take from you know the perspective of an expatriate living in Europe, watching his home go up in flames, literally and figuratively, if you consider the wildfires. So after my very long introduction, thank you, listeners, for hanging with us. <laughs> thank you, Eming, for allowing me to go on as long as I needed to. Uh, thank you for being here, Silvano. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yeah. It's good to have you. It, you know, for our listeners, you should know it is very hard to coordinate a global podcast because I found out about time zones this week. Apparently, depending on where people live in the world, uh, they could be a completely different day. Uh, so we are recording right now on Sunday for emailing. It's Sunday morning in Richmond, California. Uh, for me, Roscoe P., your host, it is 2 p.m. on the East Coast. And Silvano, I'm looking out the window. The sun has already gone down in Germany. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like, it's, like, it's like 8.30 p.m. Yeah, yeah. 8.30 p.m. So That's once cool. again, proof to our listeners that we have a global podcast. So, time zones are real. Yeah. You know, I was a skeptic. Yeah. I was a time, you know, I'm, I'm a flat earther. So I don't, you know, I don't believe in all that stuff. <laughs> I need, I need proof, but this is proof enough. I might have to question my flat earthiness. Um, so there's a lot to cover. Silvano, I kind of want to let this conversation go wherever it needs to go. Um, but I am very curious uh, about your take, you know, as you're living in Germany. First, l- let me, let me ask it this way. Where and how are you like getting your news about what's going on in America and like how accurate and reliable does it seem to you as a person living far away? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't um, I don't follow the news these days. I I uh, I mean, I think I think determining the accuracy whatever news you're reading is like a very difficult and arbitrary thing to do anyway. Right. Like, uh, it's at half the time it's bullshit. Half the time it's not. I mean, how do you, how are you really ever going to have like the information or point of reference you need to determine when it is and what it isn't. Right. Like it's just kind of like, a, I don't know. I feel like often taking the news seriously is a leap of faith, no matter where you are, who you're getting it from. But, um, um, I get it mostly, I'm ashamed to admit this, but mostly I get it, and I don't want to hear it, but I get it from Germans because they assume that I'm an American. Like, of course, I must be up to, first of all, like up to speed on it. Second of all, want to talk about it, you know, and, you know, third of all, I mean, like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm not being fair. Perhaps they think I have something interesting to say that they haven't heard yet. It's, but, but I get it. I, but most of what I hear about the news is from people over here or uh, from my folks, you know, when I talk to you, when I talk to my family. I mean, these are re- these are sources that obviously don't know everything, but um, I can trust what they tell me. You know, when my mother says, oh, we almost got an evacuation notice, like that's enough for me. And I know that at least it's true. You know? like, well, you're a journalist. That. You're a yeah. journalist. So you know that your mom is a primary source. She's a she's a person looking out her window and seeing, you know, a sky full of smoke and ash. That's that's a primary source. That's a reliable source. <laughs> she's not bullshitting me. I mean, yeah. I guess is the point, right? She's not bullshitting me. And um, and that that goes about as far as I'm interested anyway. Like, I'm not really tripping too hard on what was going on in California. And if I were, I would be there you know like yeah 
It's uh, well, I mean, I these this is a very important point because this is something we talk on the show about pretty often, right? I mean, the whole the whole country and the whole world is having a conversation about where you can get reliable information, and you know, so many foreign governments and agents are involved in misinformation and spreading misinformation, and it's a huge it's a huge problem. I understand that challenge, but I also understand that we are lucky in a lot of ways because you can check 10, 20, 30 sources, right? Like you can read something online and say like, oh, look, this news report on Facebook says that, you know, Antifa started the wildfires, right? You'd be like, man, that sounds a little fishy. I, I don't really trust Facebook, you know, so you can be like, well, what does the New York Times think about this? And then New York Times is like, well, there were reports that the fires were started by Antifa, but, you know, it's all these evil alt-right people on the internet. And I'm like, well, I trust the New York Times, but I also know that they're very liberal. So anytime somebody says, you know, evil alt-right, I'm like, well, right. I got to check that out. So it's like, right. you know, then I, then I go like find another source. I go read the local paper. You know, I read the San Francisco Chronicle and be like, well, what do they think about these wildfires? You know, so although it is very difficult to get like reliable information. It's only because there are so many sources where I feel like in the old days, like when I was a kid, the only news you really got was you, you know, you read the newspaper in the morning if you cared. Um, and you know, you watched the evening news at night and whatever the local newspaper wanted to tell you, you just had to take them at their word and whatever the local, whatever the evening news wanted to tell you. So it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword. We have more information, but that means we have to do more work to be informed. Sure. But what what does that lead to? That leads to the most important question and ultimately most of the time conclusion, what do you want to believe? Right. Because you have like a lot of fucking you have, you have a lot of different uh, points of view. You have a lot of different takes on the situation. And in the end. This is this is human nature. You're just going to go with the one that you want to believe. And the good yeah, thing about the old fashioned yeah. news was it doesn't matter. You only have one thing. There, there is no there is no picking and choosing. This is the report. Done. Well, there's a there is a pick and choose, which is like, well, the paper said this. But I think the paper's full of shit or the paper yeah. says this. the paper says this and I trust the paper. I mean, I, I like I said, I agree with you. I'm I'm lost in this battle all the time. I think the most disciplined thing I can do is just like avoid confirmation bias. I don't want to look for information to support what I already think because I am wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> so I just have to acknowledge that, you know, I don't think everybody does that. I think a lot of people look for the information that confirms their political views or their worldview or whatever. But that's why I kind of think you're in a unique position because you don't I, I just based on our conversations get the sense that you're not a confirmation bias guy you're like a little more interested in the truth even if you don't want to do all the work it takes to get there you're no, still your no, impulse it's, is like it's a lot of work but yeah. i mean i mean so uh like where where and when i was definitely following um like like i said like like most of the time i i get it through conversations with my folks my folks also being like a slightly broader umbrella than just my blood like that means you the people i talk to regularly back in the states um i was doing a little bit of following initially um and but, when you but, say following, like, are you saying, like, you mean about coronavirus in the oh, U.S.? Right, you mean corona, about sorry. Trump? You mean about, okay, yeah. No, like, corona. And, I mean, obviously, all these things are intertwined and shit. You can never, like, really get, like, one, like, pure information on just corona without hearing, like, what Trump said or did or, I don't know, what, what have you the other day. But, um, but what I was following was the, the development of the virus. That's what interested me. You know, like, like, if you're able to strip away all that other shit and just look at the numbers, right? 
Like, how, how is it developing? How quickly is it developing? Where is it developing? How many deaths do you have versus how many, uh, how many uh, cases and so on and so forth? Um, that was what I found really interesting at, at the beginning. And, then, and also, I, I use that as like, as like my, my metric uh, for, for truth. Because you're going to hear a lot of shit, but like those, the numbers are the numbers, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you are drawing on your skills as a journalist and you're like, well, you know, I got a primary source. My mom's looking out the window. I got, I got data. I have numbers, you know, I got that data. I, can, I can compare the data, you know? So it, it sounds like you are doing the work to sift through the garbage and be like, I don't care if wearing a mask has become a political issue. I want to know how many people are getting sick, you right. know, which is, which is a good place to start from. Um, I will say also, but you know, before we move on from a conversation about where information comes from, I mean, you know, you are a, a normal person in 2020. So like you're on social media, right? Like you're exposed to information from Instagram and Facebook. Like to what extent does that inform your understanding of what's happening, uh, in the United States? I've gotten to the point, I've, I've gotten to the point where like I skim over, like I have a lot of really liberal friends who will post like the, the extremely, I don't know, dude, I've gotten to the point where I just overlook the shit they post because I'm like, maybe probably what you're posting is true. But I just know that no matter what the truth is, you will take the position of bias against Trump, for example. And I can't take what you say seriously, you know? Yeah. Like, 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 like all, all, most of these people, I don't want to say all of them, but most of these people, their, their motive for whatever perspective they have is, is just, it's flawed. It's just to be against whatever party they're against, you know? Yeah. Like, like literally yeah. like mirroring, like, the, like, like the, the Democrat perspective that all Republicans are shit and the Republicans, it's just, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre how deep that shit permeates. And yeah. I just ignore it, man. It's true. It's true. I think that's probably the right call. I encounter the same problems where, you know, people I know who have politics, that I think we sh probably share most political views. The way that they message information is just feels unreliable uh, because their position is just to prove that the other side is wrong. And I'm, right. I'm, not, yeah. I'm not interested in that. Like, you know, I'm not a very like you know, um, antagonistic or, or even like litigious person. I, I'm not looking for evidence to prove that people are wrong. You know, as, uh, as Tom Cruise said in a few good men, I want the truth, <laughs> but, but yeah. where is the truth and what is the truth? So, yeah, I mean, that, that just gives us a good framework about like where information is coming from, because that's, I'm curious about that. I think expatriates, uh, let's say 50 years ago, you know, if, you know, if you're, let's say even longer, a hundred years ago, you're Ernest Hemingway living in Paris, you know, you get to read the, the, you know, Herald Tribune every day, one American newspaper to get your news. And then, you know, you follow the local news to get it. And now you have so many more options to just tap directly into, um, primary sources, as you said, and data in the United States. It's just, it's an interesting question because I, I encounter this on a much smaller scale, just being a person who lives in New York although my home is San Francisco, right? So something happens in San Francisco and I'm like curious, oh yeah, I wonder what's going on. Like, and I'll read the paper and I'll say like, oh, it sounds like, you know, coronavirus, for instance. Oh, it sounds like the cases are like this, or it sounds like this, this group is really heavily affected. And then I'll talk to someone that I know and love, like you said, in San Francisco and, and kind of get a different story. So I, I identify with that impulse. You want to know what's going on at home, but how can you get reliable information? Um, so that said, you, you've done a lot of reporting for uh, Quest on 
uh, you know, you were doing some video dispatches for a while about the differences between the way that Germany has handled uh, coronavirus and the way that the United States has handled coronavirus. Um, we're at a very different stage of, you know, the outbreak now where some places it's it's been managed, other places it hasn't been managed. In America, it's become kind of a culture war issue that distracts us from the, the real objective, which is like, how do you defeat a virus that's trying to, trying to kill people? Uh, what is your take now, you know, whatever, eight months into the crisis or seven months into the crisis on the differences between where the U.S. stands as far as COVID is concerned and, and what Germany is doing and, and others in Europe? I mean, I don't know, man. That's that's a that's a dis- I do know. I mean, it's a disappointing. Uh, that's a disappointing place to go, you know. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's it's um, the 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 countries here, the country I'm in, for example, um, even Italy, which was like, I mean, it was, you know, like it it was insane how poorly Italy was doing in relation to everyone else for a moment at the beginning. Even Italy is like kind of figured out how to like run with the situation, so to speak, you know, and it's not really anything special that these countries did. As far as I'm aware, the first thing they did was take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Important first step. (laughs) It's really simple. You know, it's like drug recovery, you know, like admit that there's a problem, you know, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, and then they, um, yeah, I mean, that was it, dude. They took it seriously. They took it seriously. They yeah. impl- implemented very, very, like, uh, my, uh, small, non-invasive, like, like uh, things, like the mask, for example, whatever, you know, and, and they're organized, you know, yeah. they're well, no, that's not the word I'm looking for. They're civilized. They're civilized. You know, when I came here, when I came here, Good. Like this is the the cradle of civilization, whatever. Like when I came here, like uh, I would encounter that a lot. Like when when Europeans would reference America, they'd be like, "Yeah, well, this here, like talking about Europe, this here is a civilized country." You know, I'd be like, "Well, what the fuck do you think?" Like I'm be like, "We got dryers and washing machines. Like, what do you think we're doing out there?" But um, it is. It's it's more civilized. It's more civilized in that you know the 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 state and the people together can like recognize a problem. And then react with very simple steps to, to handle it. You know, that that's that's civilization, right? Yeah. That's like that's being like, okay, like, like, how can we take public sanity seriously here and, and do something that doesn't tax any one person too much, but you know, will uh, I mean it, it's not gonna work, you know, like like it's not gonna get rid of the problem, but but like curb the issue so that we can manage to continue being a civilization. You know, it reminds me of uh, the shopping cart test. Have you ever heard of the shopping cart test before? No, it's um, it's kind of a, it's like a thought, like a very simple thought exercise about like when you go to a, like the grocery store that, is, that has like a big parking lot where you, you know, use the shopping cart to take your groceries to your car. Um, it's like, do you return the shopping cart to the place in the parking lot where all the shopping carts are, or do you leave it just wherever, like next to your car? Right. This is, this is a really good question. This is a really good because question. There is no rule, and there's certainly not an enforceable rule where, like, you should return the shopping cart. It doesn't benefit you really in any way um, because it's easier actually to leave it 
next to your car, but you know that it makes everything function much more smoothly if you return the shopping cart. And I mean, I think that is a great example of the social contract, right? Like to what extent are people in society willing to do a very minor inconvenience to make society run better? And a lot of countries in Europe and Asia and all over the world really seem to have a handle on the shopping cart test. Whereas like America is like, don't tell me to put my shopping cart back, you know, uh, you're infringing on my freedom. You know, like well, you we, know we, confuse, we confuse the social contract with like infringing on our freedom. We think that doing something nice to make society work better is like a form of socialism. You know, well, and, well, and it's a perfect example because there's a reason why that shit works perfectly over here. You know why? It's super simple. Because to get the shopping cart, I have to put they have one and two euro coins, right? Two euros is a lot of money to have in a coin. Like, you know, our biggest coin is 25 cents. You use that, lose like two euro, two, two euro coins, you're kind of pissed. Like, that's a lot of money. Plus, wages here are lower. Like, so they got one and two euro coins. To get a shopping cart, you got to put in one or two euros. You got you to gotta, you gotta liberate it. And to get your euro out, you have to park it back by the other carts because there's a key on the last yeah. cart park that you punch it. it. It's super simple. You get your car like with this. it. It's super simple. And obviously, uh, you know, I mean, this shit stays orderly. I I would say like, you know, I think this is now becoming a very inhabitable metaphor, as they say, because if we tried to have a policy like that in the United States, they would say, they're taking my money. They're taxing me, you know, for like whatever. Right. Like people would would perceive that even if it was just the policy of the store and that's not all of us you know i love america man i'm not here to bash america i just like i understand these cultural differences and in some ways i'm very proud to be in a place that has like such aggressive defense of personal freedom that you know we kind of are wary of any kind of uh social contract you know because i am also a little bit of an anarchist um but i also enjoy the benefits of like that kind of communal life where people look out for each other. So I, in some ways I'm torn. I understand the impulse, but what I don't like is kind of using that, using freedom, using our defense of freedom as a way to destroy our society. That's crazy. That's the point. I was, ha- I was having a conversation with my father when this, uh, when this shit was really starting to hit the fan for the United States, you know, like when, when the first infection started out there, I remember, my father was like, it's about to take off tomorrow. He was like, just, he was like, trust me. He was like, this place is a disaster waiting to happen for Corona <laughs> because of how things are organized and because of the mentality of the people. He was like, just wait. Yeah. He's like, and, and he was right. But when, when the shit finally was, was really starting to hit the fan, um, he was like, you know, he was musing as to whether or not this was going to be like the, you know, more or less the effective fall of like the, United States empire, if you will. And he, I mean, the, the, the point that we were coming, coming up on, and that's basically the point here, is that both the United States and the European countries have strengths and weaknesses. And this pandemic is really, really like insanely effectively highlighting the strengths of the European, somewhat more social, it's not socialist, but somewhat more social system. And the weaknesses, the, the very profound and kind of like until now unseen weaknesses of the American system. It's not like the, I mean, there, there are huge advantages to that, to that, like that, that, um, that insistence upon freedom and that, and that wariness of like, uh, like you said, social contracts and 
not, you know, not buying into anything without it's, I mean, it's excellent. And it, it preserves like the American, uh, the gritty American uh, way of life and uh, spirit, if you will. It's, I mean, you know, it's a beautiful thing. But if you're so attached to that idea that you literally like, like sink with, with, with the ship, you know, like you're literally willing to t take, take yourself down then it's like, well, fuck, bro. That's you. You got to, you know, like that's that's just that's as stupid yeah, as anything can get. Like you have to do it within reason. It, I mean, it becomes, I, it's exactly yeah. it the definition of freedom. Like when we talk about it in a legal sense, like if you, let's just talk about um, freedom of speech, right? I love freedom of speech. Uh, obviously, I'm a journalist. Uh, and a contrarian. So I need to be able to say whatever I want all the time. And I, I like living in a country where I can do that. There are a lot of places in the world where you can't. Um, and, you know, the definition of, you know, the limits of freedom of speech in the United States are like, yeah, you can say what you want, but you can't do something that becomes harmful to others. Right. And what is harmful speech? And the example is you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Right. Like, you know, technically that speech that you would say, hey, that's protected by freedom of speech. This is America. I can say whatever I want. But if you scream fire in a crowded theater, there's going to be chaos, man. Someone's going to get hurt. Right. Everyone's going to rush for the exit. Someone's head's going to get squashed. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think uh, this this is the equivalent. Right. This is the kind of like, you know, you're protecting speech so much that you're fighting for the right to yell fire in a crowded theater. And that passes our limitations. And I think freedom of speech is a great, a great way to compare the United States with Germany, even though this is a very fraught comparison. But, you know, Germany has a lot of limitations on speech because of their experiences in World War Two. Right. Like, as you know, in Germany, like uh, you can't uh, display a swastika, for instance, right? In public. Now, in, public. in public. You can have it in, in your house. Yeah. yeah. Now, I don't want to defend anybody's right to display a swastika because it is a hateful symbol and it's like with such an awful history. But when we have a conversation in the United States about the Confederate flag, which is a different thing, but a similar thing where it's like, should we have rules about what kind of flag you can hang out? You know, mm -hmm. um, I, I do look at the German example and I understand why Germany took such strict rules to, to restrict the use of a swastika. I mean, when I was a kid, not a kid, but a teenager, you know, I used to play video games and I played uh, Medal of Honor, which was a World War II video game. Right. And because it was a video game, you know, you were fighting Nazis. So the Nazis had swastikas on. And that game included and also Castlevania, which is another game where you fight Nazis, except they were monsters. Um that, that game was banned in Germany because you were using a swastika. Basically, it was considered a public display of a swastika. Now, again, don't make me the guy who's defending the right for people to display a swastika, but that's an important distinction. It's something that they wouldn't do in America, and that's why it's so hard for us to have a conversation about the Confederate flag um, and what's appropriate and what is a hate symbol and is hate speech protected by freedom of speech. Like The fact that we're taking such a long time to figure that out, I think – kind of is a good sign of freedom of speech in the u.s do you know what i mean that we don't have a government that can just say like no flag right like like fine yes get rid of the confederate flag uh obviously uh for me personally in my politics right i think it's a hateful symbol but then it's like well what if the government you know who knows who's gonna be president next and they're gonna be like oh well you know the anarchy system is a symbol is a hate symbol so it's illegal to display an anarchy flag or you know oh let's say 
well, now Black Lives Matter, the government has decided Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization. So you can't display a Black Lives Matter logo. You know, like I am always in the business of trying to balance, like if we make a rule now to counteract something that's harmful, how is that rule going to be used in the future in order to hurt people who are trying to do the right thing? And it's, you know, it's a very, very sure, tricky. Well, sure, well, but, sure but, but it's a little bit, those, those would be arbitrary impositions and the, 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 the speech laws that you're referencing in Germany are attached to a very, very specific incident that happened in their history. And the only parallel I can think of would be something like if the, well, the Confederate flag, first of all, but also like if the government decided to, uh, you know, make the N-word illegal, you know, just like the, the, the Heil yelling, the Heil Hitler thing is illegal here. Like if they, because that's connected to an incident or I don't know, maybe something that has to do with Native Americans because it's connected to uh, very like distinct, real perpetrations against these people. That it, 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 there, there, there's there's a background to that. The anarchist yeah. flag doesn't have any history of killing, enslaving a bunch of people, and so that would be very arbitrary. The the thing with the Nazis, but the government is, is arbitrary. Like super, Do you know what I mean? The government yeah, can say but, anything's you know but, a terrorist. But those, but, but, but those speech limitations are not at all. They're, they're, they they have to do with something extremely specific. And yeah. besides that, there's uh, there's the same freedom of speech here. It's just yeah. it's just this very 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 specific. So it's you know it's it, it's a little I don't know. It's uh, again it's don't, don't make don't let me be the guy who's defending the right to display the Confederate and Nazi flags. Okay, I'm not that guy. I just sure? I think it's a very it's a very good example of like differences between Europe and the United States in terms of how aggressively we protect our freedoms, including freedom of speech. You know, sure. like but I the, but but that is too aggressive. And if you like it, it's too aggressive to say like oh well no the Confederate the Confederate flag should go. And that should, the, the Confederate flag going shouldn't be any implication that next something arbitrary will go because there's a very clear and sound uh, history and background yeah. to why. Well, the but that's how flag that's go. how history works. It's yeah. like uh, I, I think about this when we talk about gun control all the time. Gun control is another thing that Americans are like. You know, Europeans don't understand why we love guns so much, right? And I'm not going to spend too much time defending the Second Amendment in terms of our freedoms, but I will say this: one. <laughs> You know, a lot of uh, great political groups in the history of our country, uh, and I'm thinking specifically of the Black Panther Party, uh, exercised their right to bear arms uh, because they were, you know, Maoists and they felt like political power comes from the barrel of a gun. And if only the government can have guns, then the government is tyrannical. Right. And that's and where gun control came from. Right. And that, right. So yeah. and, and I also know that like in the 90s, you know, when we talk about gun control in the 90s, you know, they passed um, legislation to ban, you know, certain certain weapons. Right. Uh, you know, like the kind of guns that people were using, like fully automatic weapons like a tech nine like you can't just go to a gun store and buy a tech nine we got laws about that now right and at the time if you're a gun control advocate you're like yes finally we have laws against ak-47s and tech nines nobody should have those but who did they use those laws against they used them against mostly young black men right like the people who went to prison for 25 years for having a machine gun were not you know 
um, they were the most vulnerable Americans. We used a law that might have had a good impulse in order to, you know, fill our prisons with people who maybe made a mistake, kind of. Do you know what I mean? And well, I, again, it's very tricky for me to walk this line because I want to like defend yeah, people's rights. No, but, but, it, but it's true. It's true, and that that led to or didn't lead to it was a, is essentially like effectively the perpetuation of. Uh, the enslavement of the African-American in yeah. the modern American system. We made yeah. slavery as we knew it back then illegal. And then we established, a. Uh, we, we, we kind of like, we're like, well, fuck, you know, like uh, slaves are illegal, but um, I can make prisoners work for nothing. And yeah. I've already got a police force that came into existence to round up slaves. Let's just keep rounding them up and, and locking them up. You know, and uh, historical distinction, the the police uh, were implemented in New York City. The very first like urban organized, like taxpayer funded police force was in New York City to regulate the Irish immigrant population. (laughs) Well, I mean, Irish, Irish, Irish and blacks. History hasn't had much of a distinction between those two. You know, the Irish Uh, and the blacks. Unless your name is Kennedy and uh, you become a bootleg millionaire and then president, which was not a path that was afforded to black Americans. But that's a different debate. You know, I don't you, I'm just you know, you know I just wanted to make that quick point because we still use the phrase paddy wagon. It's true. You know, well, you, you that's, know, you that's know a that, racial slur. I just want to put that out there as an Irish American. You know, you know, the Irish uh, musician uh, Shane McGowan from the Pogues with the really fucked up yeah. teeth. Yes, he, of course. There's a there's a video of him totally shit faced. I love watching his interviews because he's always so pissed drunk and like and I'm fascinated. So there's one interview. Yeah, fascinated. Hey, look, a drunk Irishman. <laughs> <Fascinating>. <laughs> no, dude, this guy this guy's fascinating. But there's one interview and the guy says something about I, I can't remember what the question is, but Shane's pissed drunk and his response is like, yeah, he's like, yeah, we're we Irish, we're the master race. Well, you know, along with the blacks, us and the blacks. We're the master race. And he apparently he feels like a wait, very wait, wait, I need some clarification. What is he, what is he getting at in that? Well, uh, Shane uh, McGowan state. apparently feels like a real affinity for blacks because the Irish have been so subjugated throughout their history. Yeah. And the way he sees it, he's like, Well, like I'm fucking white as shit. But he's like he's seeing past the color of skin, he's like, Yeah, Irish, black, like it's the same yeah. thing, basically, right? You know. Well, there is a lot of historical evidence, and again, comparing these experiences is like wandering into a minefield because I don't like to compare pe- oppressed people's experiences. But there is, you know, historical evidence that you know, obviously, uh, the British ran out of land because they live on an island. And they said, we need more land for royal people. Why don't we just go to Ireland and kill all those savages and subjugate them so we can have their land? And the tactics that they developed to subjugate the Irish during that time were the same tactics that they went on to use to subjugate Africans in slavery. So there is a connection in that oppression. And speaking of Irish musicians, uh, have you ever seen the movie The Commitments? No. It's a very cool movie about... um, uh, uh, like a soul music band in Belfast, Ireland. So they're all like white Irish people, but they play soul music. And everyone's like, why are you playing this like black American music? And they compare their experiences. Again, a slant comparison. It's always troubling to compare the experiences of oppressed people. So I'm not all in on this theory. And that movie was a comedy. But mm-hmm. what they said was, you know, the Irish are the black people of Europe. And, you know, the Northern Irish 
uh, are the black people of Ireland because they were the ones who were still occupied by England at the time. And then, you know, if you're from Belfast, you're, you know, so they, they made there. There have been a lot of comparisons among groups. What, of it, what, what, it, what is it if you're from Belfast? Because my Irish ancestry is from Belfast. I want to hear this. Well, Belfast is in Northern Ireland. Right. Um, so that's the part of Ireland that still is part of the UK. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a big part of the reason why Brexit is held up because they don't know how to enforce a border between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. Um, but they're saying like they're even more oppressed than the rest of Ireland because they're still colonized effectively by um, by the British. You know. For Although sure. now that I think about it, the commitments might have been in Dublin. So we're gonna get a fact check on that, folks. I, don't at me on Instagram because could, the commitments may have been in Dublin, which is not Northern Ireland. But the the comparison stands that you know the the experiences of oppressed people no matter where they are in the world there is a lot of overlap especially if you were once northern, a sub- northern dublin that's where the commitments is from northern dublin all right that's, well then well that's the republic of ireland so yeah so yeah. forget what i said about belfast but they still made the comparison um and i think that stands if your people are from belfast that's where you know that's where ira is from well all those the irish that's republican right. army yeah, yeah they were still right. trying to get them out you know that's that's where my family is from they were you know and uh it's mostly i know mostly about the irish women in my family but they were uh the women were always the gun runners for the ira because right. you know they were like no nobody suspects an irish housewife basically and they're they're tougher than anybody else in the world so uh but that is you you have a very proud heritage, my friend, of fighting uh, the crown. So <laughs> congratulations. Oh, I, I know this. I know this. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yes, I am circling back in case our listeners are wondering um, <laughs> to a conversation about freedom of speech and how freedom is protected. The, the only reason I am mentioning all this stuff about attitudes towards freedom uh, and you mentioned Italy earlier. Um, I live in New York City and I was here for the outbreak uh, the early coronavirus outbreak in March and April, which was the first and worst in the country. And it, we learned a lot of lessons from Italy, right? Because Italy was the last place who just got hit. And say hey, what dude, you want about Hey, imagine it. that, learning a lesson from Italy. That's humbling. It happens. I mean, listen, <laughs> uh, every, every opera singer, every painter, uh, you know, they, they all went to Italy to learn their chops. You know what I mean? So don't, don't put your people down too much, man. They, they get a lot of things right. You know, if I if I wanted to learn how to make shoes or ravioli, you know where I go? Goddamn Italy. Ravioli. That's right. dude. Ravioli, but not like a functioning uh, subway system. Yes, not the. I wouldn't want to study their infrastructure. You know, they're they're. No. they're, they're their greatest achievements in infrastructure were during the Roman Empire. Well, that, you know, years ago, that's the thing that's funny. Years, is yeah. like I, I don't think they want to study their infrastructure either. You know, I don't think yeah. there's anyone there anymore. It's like I don't. Yeah, the, I don't Italian, think really- the Italians are like, wait, what are they doing in Beijing for their public transportation? <laughs> like, I, let's take a lesson from the Chinese on this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, you know, I mentioned all these things because I, I, I want to ask you about how people in Germany have responded to. Uh, rules about masks and rules about distancing because the the issues of freedom in in the United States are now playing themselves out in a culture war about like if you wear a mask you're a pinky communist <laughs> you know you're like a bleeding heart pinko liberal <laughs> communist trying to destroy the country and if you don't wear a mask then you're just some kind of like mouth breathing knuckle dragging troglodyte you know from from a trailer park, right? Which is like that's not true, right? Can but I can I say something? Can I say, go ahead? Go ahead. Go ahead. I just well, I wanted to, I wanted to return to the numbers actually, and please, one, please. one of the one of the things that 
or for me, what's impressive and what's like discerning for a country in like how they're handling the virus is um, Germany is a real hot spot too, man. It has been since the beginning, but the number of deaths relative to the number of cases is unbelievably low. And that for me is what really sets this place apart. Like it, it's not like the, the number of infections in Italy and Germany, at least when I was following it, were not so insanely far apart. But Italy was dying at unbelievable rates and Germany wasn't. Most of the people were surviving. You know, that's that. And are you saying, I mean, help me take the next step. Like, is that evidence that the healthcare system is better? Is that evidence? Yes. That, okay. Yeah. I think I think mostly that has to do with like infrastructure, uh, healthcare system. Germany was even like uh, taking sick people from surrounding countries at one point, like uh, Spain, Italy, France too. Probably, I'm 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 not sure. Like I I didn't I didn't uh, research the specifics on that myself. But like Germany was the entire time had the the pandemic. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, they had it in check, so to speak. Like. Not in check. No one's got it in check, but they were able to keep up, you know. And um, yeah, I think that's an important distinction too, because I think my thinking from the beginning, you know, because I am an expert on viruses and medicine. Well, <laughs> no, right, I'm not. Right. My theory, my theory has been, um, you know, people are going to get sick, right? Like this is a very, very infectious virus, and. And there are only so many things we can do to protect people against getting sick, but we can take care of people who get sick and prevent them from dying. That's, that's the difference. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, I think the places, as you're saying, who have had high infection rates but low fatalities, it is an evidence of a, it's evidence of a functioning healthcare system. And you know, the healthcare system in the United States is a, it's a global laughingstock that you could be such a wealthy country. And you know, like New York State got hit. And they were like, yo, we don't have enough ventilators. You know, it's well, like dude, we imagine, to- bro, bro, imagine general hospital with the coronavirus, bro. Yeah. Are you yeah. kidding me? That's a, no, that's, yeah. that's like, that's general, a, that's a disaster. It's a general fucking, hospital is where you go to die. Hospital is where you go to it's die. It's where you go to die, dude. That's literally like, it's, it's a, it's a complete disaster. Like administrative. I do know some people who work at General Hospital and do good work, so I'm not trying to knock them. But that's not, but that's not the point. That's not the public, point. It's a public hospital, so they're limited by funding, and they're they have to take people that private hospitals won't take. So they have a unique problem. It's not a. It's not, in my opinion, it's not a problem that General Hospital has. It's a problem that the way we structure our healthcare is, it's which is poor people. Poor people go to public hospitals. Right. And people with money go to private hospitals it's, and there lies the difference. Exactly. It's the system. It's a system where like it, it, it's like uh, mirrored in many different parts of American society. It's a system where this tiny, tiny little bubble at the top functions really, really well for the people in, the, in within that bubble. And the yeah. rest is kind of a fucking shit show in, in shambles. And that's yeah. the healthcare system to a T. Like there's I mean, I could even get I could I was I, you know, you can get free healthcare in California quote unquote free, like, but I mean, is it even healthcare? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Like, but yeah. here, the, the difference being, and I mean, Germany, the healthcare here is like the, the, the better healthcare, the better surgeons you get in the United States definitely yeah. uh, put the German ones to shame most of the time. But the fact is here, everyone gets the same standard of treatment. Yeah. They get the same standard of treatment. They go to the same hospitals. They go through the same system. It's, it's a, uh, of course, it's going to work better. 
I'm glad you made this point because I think so much of what we're talking about is a is a product in terms of the dysfunction of the United States is a product of income inequality, right? Of course. We we have more billionaires than any other country in the world, but we also have more people with um, like food insecurity than any other de- like you know developed country in the world, right? And that's what Occupy was about. We know that income inequality is our problem, and any effort to address income inequality is instantly rejected as socialism, because the people who are running the Republican Party uh, are are only in place so that rich people don't have to pay more taxes. Basically, do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and they they have recruited people who are poor and mostly white to vote against their own interests um, along culture war lines uh, in order to protect the right for billionaires not to pay their taxes. Like, you know, I don't want to start sounding like Bernie Sanders because I'm not I'm not that guy. But it's, you know, any thinking person will acknowledge that most of our social problems come from our inability to address income inequality. But it's a thing that Europe has a handle on. Right. It's a thing where Europe is like, hey, we shouldn't have income inequality. You got to tax the rich and you got to use that money to lift up the bottom so that we don't have people who go go to bed hungry, basically. That's right. And, you know, the funny thing is. It's not fucking funny. It's obvious as shit. It's once, once you're, once you're insured, once you're health. I mean, let let me propose a scenario to you. As like we're speaking about the average man, right? But I'm I'm earning a lot of money, like relatively good amount of money. I'm saving money. I'm in the American system though. I'm saving money, and then I have a health disaster. I don't know what happens. I get cancer. We'll say because that's the popular one these days. It fucking it's wipes very, me out. It, very it, hot disease. It, it wipes me out, dude. It clears me out financially. It destabilizes me completely. I'm fucked, right? doesn't matter how much I save. Like, sure, if I save millions, maybe I'm okay. But you get the point. Like, I'm out of work for a long time. Like, I'm fucking yep. done. In Germany, yep. even with my measly fucking wage, whatever it is, we'll say 1500 bucks a month. I don't know. I'm able to save 100 euros a month. That's it. It's not so impressive. It doesn't like what other disaster. The only other thing that exists that can destabilize you besides a health disaster is is some criminal activity. But besides that, you're secured. There's nothing that could wipe you out. So my hundred bucks a month is is not a lot, but it's fucking certain. I have it for sure. There's nothing that can take me down. I mean, the battle against, you know, the the issue of income inequality and the the inability for the United States to do anything about it, uh, I think ties in directly. I'm glad you mentioned the criminal justice system ties in directly to our criminal justice system, because it seems like we're structuring things in such a way where it's like, well, yeah, you need poor and desperate people because who else is going to mop floors and wash dishes, you know, and like, you know, work in the fields, like do shitty jobs for no money, basically, that's hard backbreaking labor, unless you subjugate them so much that they're so desperate, they have no choice to put to go out in the fields and, and basically get food money, you know, it's not true. It's not true. Because people do those jobs here, too. And you know how it works? Yeah, but they don't do them for pennies. No, they do it. They do it for a wage that's livable and they get 30 days of vacation a year. Yeah, we don't have that. But it's, it's, it's super simple. You don't even need to give people a lot, dude. Like what the people here do it for isn't a lot. Dude. It's very little. Like actually you would save money if you took this approach. Like from, from the perspective of the government. I, I, I mean, I haven't crunched the numbers, but I would be amazed if they didn't save money with an approach like yeah. this. No, the, you could say that arguably the government saves money, but who doesn't save money in that scenario is the private sector. The people oh, who are right. 
right. the people who are responsible for hiring and caring for you know working class people are like, hey, listen, man, we're trying to grow our company. We don't have money to pay for their health care. We don't have money to give them vacations. You know, obviously they do, but it would cut into their bottom line. And, the, you know, the political power of, you know, business owners and corporations is so great that anytime you say, hey, let's pass a law saying that every employed person has to have health insurance provided by their employer, for instance, you know, that's something that's just immediately shut down. Let's say, hey, not even a month. Let's say every working person should have three weeks of vacation a year. It's like, well, no, I'm not paying somebody to go on vacation, you know, that I need that money so that my vacation can be better. You know what I mean? And that yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. Sure, sure. you know, and I, I, in some ways, you know, I, again, here I am, I'm not playing devil's advocate. I'm just trying to understand that perspective. I'm not a business owner. Right. And, but many years ago I worked for a business magazine and it was my job to write profiles of of like, you know, kind of like startup people. Right. And I wrote a profile of a woman who owned like a, like a big, like bakery catering business. You know, it was her, it was her business. Let's say she had a staff of a hundred people and she was doing very well. She's making money. And San Francisco was passing legislation to require all employers who had more than, I don't know, 50 employees to provide health insurance. She, she was like, I will not be able to continue my business if I am required to provide that because the cost for having employees will double, right? So I would have to just fire enough people to be under the requirement. This person was not a monster. Like this woman was just like, you know, an ambitious, like a liberal minded, ambitious business owner who was not particularly political and just wanted her business to thrive. So in some ways, I think that's why you need public health care, right? Because you shouldn't have to pass that cost along to business owners. You should pass that cost along to the government and it comes out of our tax dollars. But again, nobody wants to pay their taxes, even people who benefit from all the services they get from paying higher taxes. Well, I, I, I pay my health insurance. I pay it. It's just that it's a percentage of my wage. So it it sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. It's a specific fixed percentage of my wage, but I pay Everybody and that, and that money goes to the government, correct? That money goes, goes to, the to that. There's a specific portion of my taxes. It's like I pay like maybe thirty percent is taxes, fifteen percent, so half of the thirty percent is for my health insurance, and that goes to uh, the the what's called the Krankenkasse, which is the which is the health insurance system. And Krankenkasse. That's such a German Krankenkasse, which means the sick. Uh, Casa, what's the casa? I don't know. The, the casa register, the sick register, you know? And, um, and also you know, very German, by the way. It's super this literal. Is, this money is for your sick register. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, we need your sick register money. Yeah. It's, it's they super. Can't use the word they can't say, like, this money is for taking care of you. <laughs> it's no, like, no, no. Sick well, no, it's like, it's register, like, in the term of cash register. Like, I get it. I get it's, it. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Are you sure you get it? Yeah. All right. Well, do I, do I get it? Or do I just say I get it? It's hard to say. This is it's, how I'm getting through. It's like it, what it means is like the sick bank account. That's what it means. Yeah. Sickness yeah. bank account. That's what oh, it is. Here's so, the point about that. You pay that money, right? Which ends up being 15% of your income, which right. is less, which is less than people pay for private insurance in the United States. Way less. But way less. Those funds are matched by the government or by your employer, right? So, my, like my, 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 my funds, my funds are matched by my employer which yep. is still not a lot of money for me yeah. or my employer. And it's directly connected to how much my employer pays me. Right. Yeah. And, um, and then obviously there's also 
there's it's it's simple. There are other people making way more money and paying way more money into the system. There are other people making no money and being insured through the system because they need to be insured too. Why do they need to be insured too? So that when a pandemic comes around, their health, which is at the same time connected to my health, isn't fucked. So that yeah. we can have a sanitary system where we can yeah. all survive so that the threat is lower for everyone. It's very simple. You know why? Because every month with your paycheck, you return your shopping cart to the place where the shopping carts go Damn so straight. that the next person yeah. can come along and get their shopping cart. And that's a very nice thing to do. And it's not socialism. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> in my opinion. In my well, opinion. It's a uh, yeah, yeah, dude. It's it's pretty it damn just social. Takes that kind of social contract. I mean well, it's social, right? It's, it's pretty just da- social it's, it's pretty damn social, but hurt. but I wanna I wanna also I wanna also present you with with another it's a it's a it's a subjective fact, but it's a fact. It's very social. The system I'm living in now is extremely social. It's not socialist, but it's very social. I still am more independent and have more like money and freedom time wise and financially to do what I want than I ever did in the United States, ever, in my entire life. So, yeah. so I don't know, bro. Is is socialism that fucked? I don't know. I mean, if I was a lawyer, it might be a different story. But not everybody's a lawyer. And I have way more freedom as the individual within this social system because of how they've structured it. They've, they've taken the time to take consideration for the little man who happens to be me, you know? So, I mean, of course, it, it works better. It's, but it's, it's actually... It's, you, the and, unless you're doing quite well in the United States, the the the, the freedom is fucking suffocating. Well, that's why we have culture wars, right? Because you need to convince a group of people to side with the Republicans uh, in their financial in their fiscal policy that for whom it's not in their best interest, right? Like it would be in the best interest of most like Trump supporters, in my opinion, to buy into these social programs because they would have a better quality of life. But they love it. You need to convince them that liberals and Democrats are trying to destroy their way of life so that it's more important for them to protect their quote unquote way of life um, than it is to have uh, like a stable life. And I, you know, I'm not saying that to bag on Republicans. I'm not saying that to bag on Trump supporters. It's a really dark game that the Republican Party has been playing for a long time. Democrats do equally manipulative stuff. So I get it. Um, But we've just reached a point where millions and millions of Americans are voting not in their best interest because they've been duped by billionaires who don't want to pay their taxes, basically. Yeah. You know, it's it's I think that's just sad. I just have sympathy for people. Sympathy. That's, uh, that doesn't sound very nice. But I, I empathize, let's say, with people who uh, seem to have been duped by a policy that's not in their best interest. Dude, the, 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 the American system, what it's become, the, 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 the degree of, of capitalism, that's a, that, that's a, that's a straight-up dupe. Bro, that's a yeah, real, that's a that's a fucking fucking hoodwink. That's the best hoodwink I've ever seen. Dude. Yeah, the, it's very, very it's very successful for those who are successful. That's yeah, that's it's, how that it's, it's the biggest fucking hoodwink, dude. And I don't know yeah. I don't know what freedom means, but if you don't have the freedom to buy your kid like a toy when he sees it and wants it, you know what I'm saying? Which was the experience I had, you know, <clears throat> and was yeah. definitely and even for myself. Like once I became an independent person, I wasn't able to buy myself the things I couldn't treat myself well. I didn't have enough money for that. You know, yeah. like yeah. that doesn't sound like freedom. It's fucking suffocating as shit. Hey, man, as we like to say, freedom isn't free. <laughs> no, <laughs> sometimes, you, sometimes you got to starve for your freedom. <laughs> well, it's, what, 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 what's her name? What, what's her name said? Uh, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose, man. 
I believe that's that the was freedom, that's, that's right. And that's the that's the freedom that they're selling in the United States these days, unfortunately. That's true, man. I, I like this pivot because uh, before we get out of here, my last question to you is about um, the election that we have coming up now. I mean, my God, I hesitate to say, but it's less than two months away is yeah. our national presidential election. I got to mail um, in my ballots. I got to mail in my fucking uh, absentee shit. It's good you're oh, yeah. Over yeah. You'll, you'll be the last to be counted, Silvano, <laughs> just so you know. You're, <laughs> you're going to be like... I wouldn't, the, be, that I wouldn't be surprised that going straight to it all. I wouldn't yeah, be surprised if they don't count me at all. Like, oh no, this guy lives in Europe. He must be a socialist. Burn it. <laughs> I mean, I'm I really imagine that there's like a machine that yeah. automatically like recognizes. Yeah. So like it says like, oh, postal code Germany, burn it. Yeah, you know, like, yeah this guy yeah. has a vague ethnic name and he lives in Europe. He's probably a terrorist liberal. <laughs> He's a Russian hacker or something in the store. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh so yeah, I mean, just how however you want to put it and and briefly, um, I am curious about your take on the election. We cover it on the show all the time, right? So we've been talking about this election for the past year and a half. The Democratic field was very, very hard to follow. People were dropping out left and right. People were disappointing us left and right. And we ended up with the last man standing who is a 80-year-old <laughs> white man who possibly sexually assaulted women. Uh, but, hey, he's our guy. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I don't want to entertain all of that, but I, I, I'm just curious your take. You're like, the election is coming up. You've said that you're voting. What are Germans saying about the national election and other Europeans? And what are your thoughts at a distance as an American who is voting? This election um, is uninspiring. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and, you know, surprise, surprise. Every election in my life has been progressively less inspiring than the one before. And that always is, pretty, that always is pretty good, man. I gotta uh, say. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sure. So, but I mean, surprise, surprise, that's a perfect way to fucking groom a generation to not give a fucking not vote, dude. It's a very excellent way to establish a rigged political system is to provide very, very uninspiring elections. And that has been my entire life. And yeah, for the Republicans, because you don't want Republicans succeed by low, low voter turnout because right. higher voter turnout benefits Democrats. So right. what is why would the Democrats choose an uninspired candidate? I mean, is it just because they're so in bed with corporations? They're like, hey, we need a middle of the road. We need an old white guy. That's just that's the only thing that's going to win. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm one of those conspiracy theorists who doesn't really see much of a difference between Democrats and Republicans anyway and thinks that they're all in the same pockets. Well, OK, you might not see a difference between Democrats and Republicans, but do you see a difference between Donald Trump and Joseph Biden? Uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's a good question. Of course. Yeah, yeah. That's why they pay me yeah. the big bucks. Yeah, yeah, of course, man. Do I see a difference between, uh, yeah, Donald Trump and Biden? Of course, bro. I do see a difference between black and white. Like I, you know, it's of course, you know, it's, I, but, um, but in the end, uh, yeah, I, mean, the what, end, what, I don't know. What am I, what am I supposed to say here? Bro? What am I supposed to, to say here? Be honest. Tell us who you're voting for and why. Honestly, I, I thought, I thought for like a moment, I was like, I can be true to myself and just write in another name, like, or like, like vote for Bernie, just so that the record shows that I wasn't a fucking bitch. But the, 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 
The fact Put is that, that on the <laughs> let the record reflect that I ain't no bitch. <laughs> but the fact is that that's a bitch made thing to do and wouldn't help anything in a situation where I have the ability to help a very little bit. And um, and obviously I'm going to be voting for fucking Biden. I, <laughs> you, I, it's not, like, like you're forcing me to say something i'm not proud of bro you know like you're you're forcing me you know i don't want to say it i, I was you're hoping i was hoping it could remain a secret you know I, 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 but um but obviously i'm gonna vote for biden you know and um and i'm gonna hope for the best what is anybody else doing right now we're all doing the same thing, Silvano. You're, yeah. You'll be happy to hear. I can, I'll speak for myself. I'm going into that that ballot booth, and I'm just pulling the Biden lever. I'm holding my nose, and I'm pulling the Biden lever, and uh, and hoping for the best. Because what, what else are you going to do? We're we're Californians. We're optimists. You do what you can, and uh, you know, leave leave the rest up to the stars. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Well, and besides, you know, if I didn't vote for Biden, I wouldn't be black. Yes, that's true. In fact, we had a whole podcast about how Joseph Biden is now the person who determines whether you are black or not. So thank you for providing that service, Biden. You know, I, I, invaluable. Yeah. Thankfully, we had a guest on the show, Travis. I don't know. Have you met Travis or have you been on a show with Travis before? I don't, I don't think so. so. No. He's exactly the man to put Joe Biden in his place. And I'm very glad that he did. Uh, so listen, Solano, this has been thrilling. This is like uh, I learned more doing this than uh, eight years at San Francisco State majoring in political science. <laughs> it's what we strive for, bro. So here we are learning, man. And as you said, uh, the most reliable source of information is a primary source. I like to think that you and I are each other's primary sources. All I, right. I, whatever you Either said, bro, two thumbs up. Oh, good. Because I was ridiculing you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I couldn't think of a better way to end a margin call episode than with a possible technical glitch. Uh, so <laughs> let me first of all, thank Eming as always uh, for doing a fine job, keeping us sounding good and keeping us on task. Even if she didn't say anything, her body language communicated to us that we had gone too far off of subject. And we needed that. We needed that, Eming. You always you we always did. bring us. And Eming, and, and Eming gets extra pops for wearing a fucking Niner shirt, bro. I see you over yeah. there with the New York cap on. I don't know what you're doing. I'm it's glad. a New York Giants hat, all right? It's a giant. It's giant. A, I see NY, bro. That's what I see. You do. You yeah. see NY. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's my great shame. It's like voting for Biden. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. It's true. It's, it's, it's what I got. Listen, what, what I got is what I got. I live in New York. What am I going to not lean in? No, it's, uh, like, it's all right, man. I don't service history and legacy this t-shirt is from kaya press uh shout out to go. kaya press that yeah. is Kila's uh employer and yesterday? it is a oh yeah happy happy 9 11 birthday or happy 9 12 birthday to to our friend neil and john of energy but kaya press is um really really incredible publishing company based in los angeles they publish a writing of asian and asian american authors and neela is um, the shot caller over there. I think that's her her full job oh, title. So I'm, I'm still staying true to my ethnic literature roots, my ethnic media roots, um, <clears throat> even though I am wearing a New York hat. I, and I apologize to everybody. Thank you for outing me about that, Silvano. I'm going to get sure. a lot of... Video. Hey, right, thanks yo. again to Thanks as always to Silvano. Thanks to our listeners. Until next time, Quest On, everybody. This episode of Quest On Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.